Get ready to rock radio, music you want to hear. And uh, we're saying hello now, uh, a very warm welcome to Get Ready to Rock to the custodian of the flame, keeper of the flame and uh, brother, uh, tour manager, uh, very close obviously to the great Rory Gallagher and that's Donald Gallagher. Hello Donald. Hi there Dave. Nice to talk to you. Thank you. And uh, the occasion on which we're speaking is the reissue of the Polydor albums, uh, the six albums in the 1970s. Uh, How do you view these now in retrospect, Donald, in in terms of um, Rory's output over the years? Because I reckon these are pretty much the definitive albums. Um, What's your take on that? Well, they're very much the the cornerstones of the foundations uh, of of his work, really, because it was his output after taste, which was, uh, you know, was a very, you know, in, in retrospect, a very short-lived period with effectively two studio albums. But this was, this was Rory as his own man, you know, uh, his his compositions, his own production, uh, by and large, and it's a mixture of the live work and studio work. So it it it, you know, and a very prolific period for Rory. If you think that the the space of or between seventy one to to seventy four that Rory produced six albums, you know, there's two albums a year. I, I think it was very much shocked to Polydor, the record company at that time, that he was out of contract before they knew it, before they even knew what they they, they had going, you know. And as I, you know, it stands the test of time that well they're they're now released on Sony. That's right. Now, technically, what's been added to these reissues? Because uh, listeners will be maybe aware of the various reissues over the the years, and uh, there were several in the late nineties which sounded pretty good t- to my ears. Anyway, what would you say has been added to the latest batch of reissues in terms of the technical? Because you sat in on this, didn't you? And yes, uh, I did. Yeah. Um, well, the, the the ones that came out uh, posthumously for Rory were where, you know, it's the ever-changing technologies, um, and you're very much the, the, the mid-90s, post-mid-90s was the, the sort of digital scenario, um, where we went back to the multi-tracks, and they were effectively remixes or takes uh, at that time um, to see what was hidden in there, That you know. So... We we used the original engineers and and then we'd also brought in other engineers to to help with that at this time. In more recent times, my son, who who was a guitar player, Daniel, he had his own band, the Cazelles, he's now with with Strange Music full time. Um, he was working on the vinyl reissues, so this is how this came about. So he'd gone back to the original mixes and he looked at the mixes we had done. And he favoured Rory's own original mixes. And there was an element of what might be done to celebrate the 40, 40 years since they had been first issued as albums. Um, so effectively, Daniel took it on himself to go in the studio with Rory's original mixes, but then apply, uh, not change the mixes, but apply the technology to obviously enhance the quality of the recordings to today's standards that are there. Yes. I mean, I have to say, they do sound very, very crisp and clear and uh, um, 
I suppose you could say very much of the time, but enhanced by the progress of time, really. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 technology is sort of quantum leaping itself all the time, so, you, you know, there's always more that can be got out of, um, but we're in the fortunate position of being able to go back to the original uh, audio tape, the analog tape itself, um, and we've preserved and we've always sort of uh, prided ourselves in, in looking after Rory's work in its original form and being able to access that, whereas we know of a lot of artists and, in fact, some of the major record companies where they've either disposed of the tape um, or they've, in fact, lost it, uh, you know, and stuff that, that that was put into, a lot of people thought at the time of CD, well, that's it. It's stored forever and digital. Well, you know, digital doesn't deteriorate. It just corrupts. Um, so in in this case, we felt that we, if we really wanted to be true to the original releases, was to go back to those original mixes uh, the way Rory wanted them to sound because he was fairly meticulous and very particular about the mixes, even though... I, I was always did the mixes out front in in the live studio and in, in the live gigs and stuff. So, and I'd always sort of add my to Tuppence work about what I felt he might add. But you know, uh, and I, to a certain extent, I felt he was always being a little bit subtle with his mixes. But um, you know, and I can now hear and and I've now got my son argument to say well actually you know rory was right <laughs> <laughs> it's me eating humble pie a little bit here you know? yes so what you're saying really donald is um th- these reissues are really as uh, rory would have heard them himself indeed yeah yeah this is it this is radio for the internet age get ready to rock radio now I get the impression that um, these are very honest albums. The uh, the seventies, they're not overproduced, overdubbed. I mean, was Rory pretty much given free reign in the studio? Uh, yes, he was. I mean, he, he uh, I mean, he came the first album, which is the Rory Gallagher album. He came out of the taste scenario, where they had had a producer. Um, you know, uh, 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 there was the constraints of the record company. It was, it was a little bit dictated, and he had riled against that and fought against it. But you know, um, so it, he. This is a time period where, for the first time, he he didn't have the pressures on him. And he, uh, he was able to go into the studio. He was his own boss. Uh, he produced himself, wrote the material, um, and and called the shots. Um, he knew he had, had a very good contract because on the final taste tour there was a band uh, Stone the Crows with Maggie Bell and their uh, co-manager was a guy called Peter Grant the Zeppelin's manager and Peter uh, and Rory and I had struck up a friendship and Peter actually assisted in getting Rory the best from a Polydor contract at that time Oh that was great uh, yeah. and which gave Rory all the, the, the complete freedoms he, he required. And, uh, you know, and then, I mean, you have the first Rory Gallagher album, which is, it was a far more lavish studio to the second album, which is Deuce. And it, so, you know, it, it, so Rory flirted with, you know, the AdVision studios. It was Tony, um, and, uh, sorry, it was um, the engineer who had worked on the 
taste on the Boards album. And um, so he worked with him in that respect and then went off to Dalston Studios, which was an old reggae studio, which was about to be torn down, which had originally been built by Joe Meek. Um, so, you know, that's the range of freedom he had. And then, of course, the third album was a live album. Uh, and they weren't a fashionable thing to do at that time, live albums back in 73, you know. I mean, what was the expectation from the record company Polydor when Rory signed? I mean, did they just were they looking for hit singles? Um, I, I, well, the potential for taste to have been the sort of world-beating band was there, and I think it, it it was a little bit. Polydor initially were a bit slow in seeing the merits of taste because there was. To be honest, there was so much happening on the scene generally across, you know, the whole thing was exploding in the late 60s. So, um, and just, with, you know, on the boards, I mean, let's not forget it was a top 10 UK album. Uh, so they had broken through. Uh, and record companies probably weren't as sophisticated as nowadays. And, and the whole international integration of companies wasn't there, so uh, tastes were actually bigger in in places like Germany and France, uh, and and you know uh, were had. I mean, I think they had a number one single, much to Rory's disgust, where the German company had put out a single of uh, what's going on, and it got to number one, and Rory was furious because he didn't want singles. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talk about scoring, you know, trying to score own goals against yourself, but that that was the way it was. Um, so that there'd been much confusion uh, with Polydor, and then suddenly the band were on the Isle of Wight Festival, and, and, and that's the day that, that, that it had all fallen apart and they were splitting up. Now, um, coming forward to the 70s with these albums then, I mean, it seems you've already referred to this, actually, Donald, with um, the fact that if you leave out the live albums from this series... Um, he recorded Rory recorded four albums in four years, which is pretty good going, you know, given that he was also touring at the time. Yeah. How did he ever fit all this in? <laughs> Corny phrase twenty four seven was wouldn't even describe Rory. Uh, you know, and uh, at that time my capacity as a, as a tour manager was a nightmare because you you know you'd be doing a gig in I remember with Juice. The Juice album, sort of finishing a gig at whatever midnight in in South End, uh, getting all the, the gear packed up, arriving at Dalston at two in the morning, uh, and loading in, and and Rory started recording because he he was also looking to get the live ad- adrenaline effect into the studio recordings. He wanted it, it, it everybody to play together, and and he felt how better than sort of. Uh, coming off the stage and it was like going back on for an encore when you got in the studio so you'd work through the night I mean you know there was little or no sleep it, it just it, and, and plus the fact Rory himself then was uh, sort of doing the promotion and interviews on top of everything else. We move forward to Blueprint in 1973 and we're going to play a track off that called Hands Off. Now what was the reason for the introduction of keyboards with Lou Martin joining the band for this album? Well, Rory had sort of wanted to get a, a kind of rhythm into the band. 
he'd always favored the idea of having a rhythm guitarist, believe it or not, uh, and had kind of coached me as, as, as a youngster to, to, to try and get me to learn guitar and play. Uh, he he kind of liked the, you know, he always used to say to me, you know, he'd, he'd much prefer a good rhythm player to a good lead player. He enjoyed, um, and he had been looking for that. Also, the idea, he only wanted, really wanted to have keyboards on one or two tracks or to give another dimension. So Lou Martin, in fact, uh, had the reputation that he could play guitar as well. So, um, and Lou Martin had been in a band with Rod Diaz, um, a band called Killing Floor. And uh, ironically, the bass player Jerry McAvoy had had gone looking for uh, a flat rental and and ended up sharing with these guys who all, who were also in the band. So um, that's how that connection was made. So they used to talk about Lou. So Roy then said, "Well, let's see how we can get on with Lou." And they did an Italian tour, and Lou was given a guitar to sort of see what you know how his chord structure was and. But then and and do a couple of numbers on on piano and and stuff like that. But it, it he you know his keyboard skills were you know fantastic. So it, it it sort of the guitar was left to one side and and then with the progression in the types of uh, keyboards, the technology where you could get a, an organ sound without having to carry uh, Hammond and Leslie, even though we ended up doing that anyway. But um, Keyboards became more sophisticated, so you could get a range of color into the. Uh, you know, it, I suppose it, it really felt maybe filled up some gaps or holes in in what he felt the sound was. Get ready to rock radio. Now, what happened then after the the last Polydor album, Tattoo, in 1974? Um, you hinted a bit earlier, actually, Donald, saying that he was out of contract. But what? Why did he split from Polydor? Well. It, 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 I think they were taken by surprise that he he was even out of contract. I don't think they even realized. Um, I think it was largely because Polydor had set up themselves up in America and took back the contract from Atlantic because the first two albums of Rory, the, the, the Rory Gallagher and Juice, had gone out in Atlantic and had done uh, quite well. Polydor then, uh, by the time Live in Europe came along, had set up Polydor America, Polydor Inc. And... And, and took back the contract, but weren't able to to step up to the plate in terms of promotion. Even though, the, the, you know, in fairness, they probably felt they were doing their best, but they weren't up to speed like a, a, the other U.S. companies. Uh, and by the time Irish Tour came, I think Rory felt that, despite all the touring he had done, they really hadn't uh, done the job for him. And I, and also there was a time where I think they probably thought, well, there are a lot of guitar players out there and, you know, uh, they didn't respect Rory probably to the extent that they, you know, at that time. Uh, also, by the end of 74 into 75, uh, that's when, you know, the, the Rolling Stones were looking for Rory uh, to join. Uh, after the departure of Mick Taylor at the very end of '74, uh, they, they we just finished uh, another Irish tour, as it were. So, uh, and we were at home in Ireland, and 
the phone rang and it was the Stones looking to know if Rory would go and, and sit in with them in, in Holland, which he did for four or five nights in Rotterdam and recorded with them. And, and that was the, the start of the Black and Blue album. Uh, but Rory already had commitments in Japan, which there was, you know, so he was he was very much in demand and then wanted to keep his freedom because, you know, and uh, so it wasn't until 75 that Chrysalis, uh, I mean, they presented probably the, uh, what at that time seemed to be the best uh, contract. Uh, and at that time, Chrysalis Records were... Uh, distributed and were a, a label on Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers were very keen to sign Rory because they had seen Rory on the big tours in America, like the Deep, Deep Purple's tour, and uh, there was one with Fleetwood Mac, and Rory was winning over uh, audiences every night. So Warner was very conscious of them. So. Uh, you know, it seemed a, a positive move at that time. Get ready to rock radio music you want to hear. Now, what what was the um, what do you think was the biggest disappointment for Rory, if I can put it like that, um, in terms of you know before his sad death in you know the mid nineteen nineties? I mean, what were the longer term plans? Because in that period, the early nineteen nineties, there was a revival of interest in blues rock with musicians like the late Jeff Healy and the late now Gary Moore. Um, was Rory aware that he should have been part of that, if I can call it a bandwagon, it was a revival really? Um, but of course his health must have been failing at that time. Yes, it was to a certain extent. And I, th- I think, you know, he had really overworked himself. And, you know, going back to the overused word of al- uh, work- workaholic, I mean, he... He, you know, where he was producing, he was writing. Uh, you know, he was, even though I was doing the management at that time, effectively, where he was his own manager. So, you know, you were just trying to be a, a good officer and carry out his wishes. Really, you know, um, you were running the office office to suit his needs. Um, so he didn't take a break. He didn't take holidays. Um, uh, I think he felt that he'd put so much effort. If there was any disappointment, it would have been the States because he had done 25 tours. He had, in effect, done to a large extent what was asked of him by the record companies, and they didn't deliver in the same way you would see bands that, you know, uh, were just getting their first album, and, you know, there was sort of million, millions of dollars of promotion being thrown at it. Yeah. Uh, and we saw very much in, in in Chrysalis as well, where other bands were just, you know, they, they were just being signed up for a lot of money, and and, and I think the, 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 it was almost their own mistake that we were too hard working. Is that they felt, oh well, there's no need to spend money on those guys because they're they're doing every venue, you know, east to west, coast, north to south, you know. Uh, it's self-promoting. We don't have to worry about those guys, and and they paid more attention. So it was, you know, the squeaky wheel getting the oil all the time. And I think that was uh, a frustration for Rory in that respect. You know, uh, however, you know, in the last lineup he had, uh, you know, with David Levy on bass and and Richard Newman and Mark Felton which I feel was really showing huge promise. I mean, I, I think that band was uh, 
and he was getting into it and was getting in the studio and recording and um and there were lots of possible collaborations possibly one with Dylan was on the cards um you know uh, yes you had all these new blues guys on the block but you know uh, but no more than at a time when Rory was could have gone down and you know I remember the record company saying why don't you become more like a heavy metal band and because in fact Rory had created so many of the guitar riffs that are used in the heavy metal bands and all you know be it the Judas Priest they always pay homage to Rory in fairness you know all all these bands you know Death Leopard and they all rate Rory and he could have gone. So as soon as somebody would say to Rory, oh, you know, the new trend is back to the blues, Rory would go the opposite direction and say, well, I'm doing a folk album then. Because <laughs> uh, that's what he did. He was going yes. off to make a folk album. Um, it, it, you know, so he, 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 he just didn't want to be pigeonholed or labeled in any kind of way. In, uh, but that said, if you look, you know, here we are 40 years on from the first albums, I mean, and they're still out there. They're still, you know, creating their own new excitement to a new generation. Hopefully, yeah. And it must hearten you when you when musicians cite Rory and their influences. You've already mentioned the likes of Def Leppard. So many bands actually, guitar players. You know, The Edge, um, Gary Moore as well. I mean, anyone who's played blues into rock really. Are there any particular artists you'd recommend who you think most closely capture his spirit and legacy? Um. Well, I've, I've, I've huge respect for Johnny Marr. I mean, uh, you know, but Johnny does his own thing. I mean, it, 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 it you know, but as a, as a human being, I think if there's a, it, it, and equally in recent times, I met Joe Bonamassa, um, who uh, I brought, invited me to, to his gig at the Apollo in London, and. Um, and I, I know full well it's it, it, Johnny Marr called me on a mobile one day and asked if he could meet me. And, and I know when it's the guitar players, not really me, they want the rubber of a relic of, the, you know, as much as they, they want to hold Rory's stress. So it's, that's, a, that's a great kick and a great pleasure. Um, uh, in the case of John Bonamassa, he, he, he then asked if he could uh, open his set with Rory Strat, you know, and he opened the set with Cradle Rock, and that was... That was tremendous. Uh, whether it's the DNA in the guitar or whatever comes out of the thing, it, uh, and certainly it, it, Joe's personality is a very decent person, and not least his girlfriend Sandy Tom, who, who was uh, another wonderful guitar player, and a huge admiration for was Brian May. Um, Brian, uh, in fact, when Taste, Brian used to live. Uh, in bed sits a couple of doors away from where Taste was staying in Phil Beach Gardens and Earl's Court uh, and his band was Smile at that time and uh, and I remember Brian turning up at the marquee and asking if he could meet Rory and um, uh, you know there were, there were friends ever since so then Brian said he was hoping that his band Smile would get a, a couple of uh, Opening slots with the with Rory at some point, and uh, yeah. Anyways, look at it. it, 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 it they did, and uh, I remember Brian uh, coming up and asking me and saying, "Well, look, do you think Rory does sound checks? Would he come a bit early?" He said, "We have a new singer, and I'd love Rory to hear him." 
and uh, so was it the Technical Institute up in Dunstable. So Rory, who didn't particularly do sound checks at that time, it was it was very much off the cuff. Said, "Well, yeah, I'll go along early, and I can change my strings and hang out." And um, that was one of the first gigs with Freddie. <laughs> and uh, Brian came running in after they finished their set and looking for Rory to know what Rory's comments were. And Rory said, "Hey." I reckon you got a new little Richard on your hands here. <laughs> now, finally, could we just... Uh, this is quite a big question, and it puts you on the spot a little bit, but it's an obvious one. Have you got your own personal favourite album of Rory's, and why is that? Oh, goodness. Are we talking about the six? Well, yes, let's let's focus in on the six, because it makes it easier, doesn't it? Well, can I have two? Yes, you can. <laughs> Well, I suppose the two live albums from coming from a because it, it, in a way they're, they're, they're performances which have some tracks obviously from the albums, as, you know, uh, it, it, and because of it, of what it conjures up. I mean, when Rory went in the studio, I was sort of I was sort of uh, kept outside a little bit, but um, I suppose from the, the live point of view, that I have a larger contribution. Uh, in that respect, so I suppose I have I leaned down on the the two live albums a little bit. They mean a bit more, don't they? Because because of your involvement, I suppose naturally. Um, it's funny because I was thinking of um, a live track t- to end our chat, uh, Donald, and um, I'm looking at Irish Tour '74. Is there a particular track on that you'd like us to play? What about Back on My Stomping Ground? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I mean, I think that sums it up. It, it was after hours, and the and he was it, it, that was recorded in Cork, so it was back in his hometown and uh, back in the stamping ground. Thank you, Donald, for your time talking to get ready to rock, and all the best with your projects in the coming months.